0: This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations,
1: and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Coming to you from home base, Atlanta, Georgia, where like most places in the world, things are still a little topsy-turvy, but that's okay. Pivot is still a top 20 word in the lexicon, and all of us continue to get better every day at pivoting than we were a year or two ago. Evidence? The Atlanta Braves are the World Series champions. The Georgia Bulldogs took down Alabama's Crimson Tide, and the Buffalo Bills are doing amazing things in the NFL postseason as we speak. So, with that as a backdrop, my expectation was to be two weeks into Franchise Today's 13th season, premiering brand new interviews and capturing your interest with brand new episodes. But, I got caught in the COVID-19 trap over the holidays, and that threw my schedule to hell. But no worries, I'm healthy, and well, and merely just a couple weeks off of my planned schedule. So, until then, my 2019 interview with David McKinnon that aired last week met many new ears, and for those who heard it before, almost three years later, it was every bit as powerful and probably did you just as much good to hear again as anything that I might have served up brand new. Same true today when my conversation with Michael Isaacson, another IFA luminary and franchising icon, is just minutes away. Mike is someone who speaks to all things fundamental in franchising and therefore he's timeless. Fundamentals do not change. There's nothing he addressed two and a half years ago when this interview was recorded that does not still apply today, post-COVID. So, hunker down, sit back, and enjoy this amazing conversation when Mike Isaacson joins me in two minutes or less to share more than just a few pearls of wisdom right here on Franchise Today. But first, this word from our friends at Atmosphere TV. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, franchisors of restaurants, bars, grills, and taverns, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. Atmosphere TV wants to help you cut costs on overpriced cable TV for your business and either replace it completely or partially if sports programming is essential at your locations. What Atmosphere TV provides are 100% text FRANCHISE to 474747 for the no-charge Apple receiver. Cut the cord and get rid of cable today with Atmosphere TV. Michael Isaacson is the retired president and CEO of Service Master Franchise Service Group an international franchising services company where he had responsibility for the development and growth of more than 5,000 franchisees worldwide. From insight to execution, working on what matters most is Michael Isaacson's mantra. As part of the $4 billion Service Master Company, Mike led Service Master Clean, Merry Maids, Furniture Medic, and Amerispec brands, specializing in residential and commercial cleaning services, disaster restoration, and on-site furniture repair and home inspections. In 2008 and nine, Mike also chaired the board of the IFA. He was also a chair and a past chair of the IFA's Educational Foundation. Today, he and his partners, Doug Pound and Jim Wassel, give guidance to their clients and through insight to execution, help guide them on their journeys to sustainable growth through sensible franchising. So, Mike, most everyone in this audience
2: knows you from your day's that service master knows you from your leadership at IFA back in 07, 08. Is that about right? That's right. As chairman of IFA, but Mike, I'm going to start today's podcast interview the way we start them every week. I'm going to ask you to take us back and tell us before those glory days, what led you and your bride Ginny to franchising in the first place? How and when did that journey begin in Bismarck, North Dakota? And then we'll talk taking the tape forward as we carry forth and learn more about how you wound up at the head of the table.
0: Well, great, Stan. It's a privilege to be with you today and uh, have, have an opportunity to talk about franchising. He has been the only business model that we know. So actually, franchising started in St. Cloud, Minnesota, uh, while I worked part-time through high school as a fire technician for a service master franchisee. And Dave Thiessen was his name, and Dave's still a mentor and a great friend, but I worked part-time with Dave doing fire cleanup through high school and through college and saw the character of that individual and saw the values that he portrayed and said, this is exciting. I also saw the results and what he was able to build. Then I also had another friend that I knew, and I went to work for him for three years. He uh, ran a large trucking company and worked for the White Motor Corporation and was involved in uh, a parts department. And But then I came to the conclusion that I really needed to own my own business, and I talked to Dave Thiessen, the service master guy in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and said, Dave, I want to go to work for you. And Dave said, no, you need to become a franchisee. So my first job was uh, working for a franchisee. And then in 1977, Jenny and I made a decision, my wife, Jenny, to uh, start our service master franchise in Bismarck, North Dakota. And so we moved out there and started just Jenny and myself. And uh, we were fortunate over the next 13 years to build a, a good organization and become one of the top 10 franchises within ServiceMaster. But Stan, what attracted me to ServiceMaster was one, the the opportunity to build a business with a limited capital base. I didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars. I wasn't able to do that, but I was able to start that business with a low capital base and build it. And if you will uh, go out and sell and produce to begin with, and uh, moving forward in, in in that direction. So that's how we started. Franchising
2: has been part of our roots. So I went back as far as Bismarck in 1990. I had no idea, though, in high school, that you you were already engaged. Yes. In. Yeah. So can you even think back that far, Mike? Today and reflect on the word franchise in that moment in time. Did you even know the word? Was franchising something that you were even aware of? Well, I didn't
0: know the word franchising, but I was able to see when I worked through high school and college the standards. Dave said, This is the way we do it. This is the way we've trained. This is how we use this product. This is how we use this piece of equipment. So I saw a system, and then I was also impressed at that time, 1960s, 70s, all the manuals, uh, you know, it was all paper manuals. I was impressed with that impressed with the system. So I saw that there was a track to run on. And I saw his success. I said, hey, this this, this is pretty good.
2: I can do that. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. So how long did it take? And talk about the lift of learning to run a business and your early days as a franchisee being exposed to not just the business that you were in, but having the power of the franchise over your shoulder helping to guide the journey?
0: Well, I think there's a couple factors in in that. One, I saw the values in the relationship and the respect that ServiceMaster had for me and the responsibility they had for me as a franchisee. I saw that personal commitment from the franchisor to be successful. They were willing to build a relationship and the franchisor was willing to be vulnerable for me to say, I need this help or you can help me they also held me accountable so I think that's a piece of it but I think also the opportunity to see that it's a people business and I was able to really find great people to work with in our franchise business and go forward. The other piece that really made a difference is I had a chance to become involved in the Franchise Advisory Council. So as I was able to interact with corporate staff and develop those relationships – that's what really made me see that franchising was a powerful force. ServiceMaster respected me as a franchisee because they recognized that I put the capital into the business. I was at risk more than they were. So I think that's an important part in the values of service master. So this is back in 19 what? 1977 till 1990, I was a franchisee.
2: And let's talk about some of the milestones that you experienced over that 13 years, because nobody. I think it's into a small business expecting that it's going to be anything of an empire going along. But at some point as you're growing your business, you start to get some sense of I can scale this thing or I can build this to more than just me and my wife and, and what number of employees you may have started with. When did some of that start flowing for you? How far along were you when you started having those aha moments? This could be really big.
0: Well, I think it was the, the moments where when I found the right people to come and join me. When I found the first production assistant, the first crew chief, the first office assistant, the first salesman, those were the aha moments that I I saw, hey, I can stay. And at that time we sold in a blazer and a tie and that I could stay in my blazer and tie and not have to change out of my sales dress into production dress. And I started to see that I could leverage myself over the sales and the leadership of the business and develop production through the organization. So, And then the other piece was just the opportunity to build references by satisfied customers, that customers were willing to say they do a good job. And again, For me, it's an awful lot about relationships because I had customers then that I was a pallbearer at their wife's funeral. Mm -hmm. I sang at their daughter's wedding. Those are the things that, by personally investing, really gave me
2: an opportunity to say, hey, this has legs. So... You brought people on and you started to have to not only manage the business, but now you're managing people. What kind of skills, Mike, did you have to bring with you? What did you go to college for? What did you study?
0: Well, my degree was in industrial education, industrial arts. My dad and mom were both teachers and I was going to be a teacher. But I think to me, it's about respect and empathy for the lady or the man that's cleaning that toilet or that is actually taking care of a cleanup from a fire or doing maid service. It's seeing that person as a human being, that they have a soul and a heart and they have a life and not a unit of production. Now, they need to perform. And I think that, to me, is the key thing. And then also just that each of those people are created in God's image and that we have a responsibility to those folks to be responsible. I like what you talk about, sensible, that I have to be sensitive or had to be sensitive to those people. Because really, when you boil it all down, it's about the relationships you build with the employees or the, the team members that you have and the customers that you have. And if you have strong relationships where they know, we are gonna, we messed up every day, we screwed up, didn't do something right, didn't empty a trash can, didn't clean something well enough. But if you had that relationship that the customer trusted you and the employee trusted you, then you had great things that could happen.
2: So fast forward the tape for us, Mike, and at some point there was a pivot between you and your franchise and your territory that you were working and eyeballs looking toward a corporate life perhaps? Or was it the company that saw more in you or were you looking for more from the relationship? How did that happen?
0: Yeah. And again, our second objective in Service Master was, and those have been changed, but was to help people develop. And so I was at my desk one day and the CEO of Service Master called and said, we'd like you to come to the home office and be a part of Mary Meads. And I had no idea that I would have that opportunity. That was not on my radar screen, but I had gotten to know and got known because I was on the Franchise Council and I chaired the Franchise Mm -hmm. Council, so I had a chance to meet these men and women, and they had a chance to meet me. So I think I had confidence in them, and they had confidence in me, so they gave me an opportunity, and fortunately, and this sounds boastful, but fortunately, we built a good business that was transferable. So many entrepreneurs build businesses today that are not transferable right? because it's all about the person. Right. Even well, to
2: the point where they put their own name on it. That's right?
0: exactly right. We were service minister and we were Mary Maids and we followed the system so that my managers actually bought the business. And so we were able to transfer that business and harvest and we gained equity. We gained value because of that. So we were able to, in July of 1990, join the Mary Maids Home Office and again, found myself in a place that I was mentored by strong executives who cared for me as how I performed and also who I was and developed me as a human being, as a person. What was the next stage of growth then? What came next? Well, then for the next four years, I had the opportunity to lead five years the Merry Maids business. And then service ServiceMaster had acquired that a couple three or four years earlier from Dallin Peterson, who founded Merry Maids. And so I had a chance to be in franchise sales or development and then was- And promoted. quite
2: the franchise salesman you were, as I've been well, told. Yeah, we enjoyed that was great. But
0: again, helping men and women become franchisees was always an important part. But I also felt that responsibility you know, today and through the years, I had an opportunity to speak before our franchisees and speak before many different groups. And I normally don't get nervous when I speak in front of a group because I just want to talk about what I experienced. The only time I got nervous was when I stood in front of new franchisees who had bet their egg money, if you will, mm-hmm. and I would stand up at our welcome gatherings and visit with them. And I'd get nervous because I'd look at those faces and say, I'm responsible with my team to make sure that each of you are successful in this room and that made me nervous because I had made a commitment, our company had made a commitment to those franchisees that we were going to support them. Now, sometimes we screwed up and sometimes the franchisees screwed up and we had to take action to deal with either one of those cases. So that first year at Merry Maids was great and then had an opportunity to move to Memphis and take on more of the responsibility of the service master brands.
2: Talk about the culture of the brand. You know, I tell people in our audience all the time that your secret sauce, no matter what your concept is, may be unique and it may be be great, but it's probably 50% or less of the success of your business. The culture of your business is every bit as important as whatever the product or the service is that you're bringing to market. Talk a little bit about how that and service master culture weaves into the fabric.
0: Yeah. And Stan, the quote that we all hear so often that culture eats strategy for lunch, which is exactly what mm-hmm. you just said. Service master hat, and I'm a franchisee of service master today. And I, we can talk a little bit about that. Repeat that. I am a franchise today uh, I have 21 franchise agreements that have my signature on them. So I was a franchisee, I was a franchisor, and now I'm a franchisee. I'm writing royalty checks today. But in our franchise organization, we follow these corporate objectives. These four objectives were started in Service Master in 1970. First, to honor God and all that we do. Secondly, to help people develop. Third, to pursue excellence. And fourth, to grow profitably. Now, that first objective did not say that someone had to be a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist, but it said there was an absolute authority for the way we conducted ourselves and we conducted our business. And that set a cultural norm. The second norm was that we were responsible to develop people. Now that means that housekeeper that's cleaning 22 toilets every night in a, in a building, or cleaning up from a fire, or that Mary Maid's team member who's out vacuuming a home. I'm responsible to develop that person, and I'm responsible to develop the team, the executives that I work with, and uniquely, I was responsible for the development of my boss. So it's up and down, which is very unique. The third objective is to, to pursue excellence. And you'll notice that the excellence pursuit does not talk about the customer. It certainly was a part of it, but more importantly, how we treated each other with excellence. And then the last one was to grow profitably. You know, you can't have sustained growth, which goes back to your theme, mm-hmm. sustainability. You can't have sustained growth without profit and you can't have profit without growth. You can have spurts, right. but you can't get there. So that really defined the culture. And as I was privileged for 23 years to lead the franchise business, I actually would have franchisees hold me accountable to those objectives and say, Mike, did you really help people develop? Or you grew because you focused on profit as opposed to those two sustainable pieces. So those cultures were very, very important as we built.
2: We're going to talk some more about your growth years into the corporate world at Service Master when we come back from our break, and we're also going to talk then about the IFA and when that journey in your life caught up with you and the road you've taken and have shared with others through your service to the IFA. We'll do all that right after a break. Franchise today will be right back, but first a word from our sponsor.
1: Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zor Forum. Learn more at Zorforum.com. That's www.Zorforum.com. And we're back with franchising icon and IFA luminary, Michael Isaacson. Mike, it's a fascinating
2: career and a fascinating journey that somebody starts working for a franchisee, becomes a a franchisee, moves into corporate and then takes on other brands and then actually accelerates his growth and career into leading a $4 billion company and being responsible for $2 billion of its revenue across thousands of people and concepts and across the globe. And as we said at the beginning, you went to college for something other than that, never right. contemplated right. this kind of leadership. So I'm interested in how that accelerated, where you hit the gas the hardest, and where the most of your fingerprints and your legacy inside of that organization are left. And then we want to spend some time talking about the IFA side of life because we're both so sort of ensconced in that yeah. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, just a, a couple of thoughts. As a franchisee, one of the real growth drivers when I was my first from 1977 till 1990 as a franchisee in Bismarck, North Dakota, was that I had the ability to talk to other franchisees. Great franchisor. I have a great franchisor today at Mary Maid's Great organization. But you know where I learned the most, Dan, was from other franchisees. Pick up the phone and call somebody and say, how are you dealing with this issue? How are you solving that? How are you gaining customers? That's the power of franchising is the other franchisees. Also, just the competitive nature to see somebody go up on stage and win franchisee of the year and say, I can do that. Right. <laughs> so that's really was a key part of that. And then again, it goes back to building long-term relationships. Some of those franchisees that I got to know when I was a franchisee are, brothers today, and there's five or six that are still very, very close. As a franchisor, I think the acceleration was because I came from a franchisee background, I had infinite respect for the franchisees. And I always made it very, very clear that my boss was not the board of directors, was not the shareholders of ServiceMaster, which sometimes made my bosses, most of them got it. Mm-hmm. A couple of them looked at me and said, no, 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 Your budget is the boss. Right. Your shareholders are the boss. And I'd say, no, my response ability is to fulfill the commitments that we made to our franchisees and to innovate and grow the market and listen to the franchisees that held us accountable. Right. Now, we also had to have brand standards. You know, when we had a franchisee that wasn't going to make brand standards, we had to deal with them and change them or get them out. But I think it was the fact that we respected the franchisees. If in our senior organization, if we heard we had you know 350, 400 staff people that were out supporting franchisees, if we heard a new franchise support person talking negatively about a franchise owner and how stupid they were, how then they did that, all the negative. Uh-huh. No way. Did you invest to buy into this business, Mr. Support Manager, who just got out of college? No. This guy or gal did. The respect and the empathy for those franchise owners is critically important. They put the capital in place. And so I think that that was an environment that we put the franchisee, because we could not get to the customer except through the franchisee. That's the agreement that we made at the beginning.
2: So when you look back on, and I marvel again at how you've begun with the end in mind almost, you began as an employee of a franchisee, became a franchisee, went to corporate, became a corporate executive to only in the latter stages of your life, become a franchisee again and run the whole gamut. I mean, that's an amazing, an amazing journey and your life's not over. You're doing so many other things that we want to have time to get into today as well. But before we talk about things that have come since, I want to try to throw down a marker as to where IFA and you first got together. I'm certain it was sometime after you got into Memphis and into the corporate side of life. Yeah,
0: to be quite honest with you, Stan, uh, ServiceMaster had very little involvement in IFA, very little involvement. I looked at my invoice to become a member, That I, my dues that mm-hmm. we paid, that Service Master paid. I looked at that number and I said, what do we get for this except for this plaque on the outside of the building that says we're a member of IFA? I thought it was a good seal of housekeeping. So I called on DeBolt, was then... chairman of IFA at that point, uh, CEO, and uh, Don came out and visited and basically said, here's all the things that IFA does representing the industry. And what caught my attention is that ServiceMaster had a, uh, a significant government affairs relationship, our organization, but it was primarily in our pest control industry, it was in our Terminex business, in our uh, lawn care business, in our home and uh, warranty, Amerispec, but we didn't have experts for government relations in franchising. So I saw IFA as an outsourced government relations organization to protect and enhance franchising. And so I looked at the dues that we paid, that I was buying that. I outsourced Great. that to the experts. So then I had the same power as Coca-Cola, as Marriott, as Service Master, and, and big and small. And then... As I got involved in IFA, getting to know Matt Shea, getting to know a lot of the folks, folks like you, Stan, and myriads of others, I learned about, again, the opportunity to learn from fellow franchisors and suppliers and
2: franchisees. You know, I tell people all the time that if you're looking at IFA from the outside, it's nothing like anything you'll ever see anyplace else. It's not like a chamber of commerce. It's not where two people in the similar business aren't going to share with each other at a chamber. They're competing with each other but like you pointed out you get on the phone and make those calls and talk to other franchisees and you find a very giving community of people willing to share It's unusual for people that don't come from within this world of ours to wrap their heads around that.
0: Yeah, you know, you said David McKinnon was with you a couple weeks ago. David ran Molly Maids. David actually started as a service master franchisee in Canada and then formed Molly Maids. And when David and I had, David owned it, I never owned anything like that, but David and I would talk frequently as competitors And that's, like you say, that's the great part. But what amazed me, Steen, is the relationships, again, that I've been able to develop inside of IFA. They're rich. They're great people. Almost all of them. There's a few that are.
2: No, well, and in life, that's the case anywhere you look, right? The thing I tell people metaphorically is is that all of us, whether we are franchisors, disease or suppliers, once a year when we get together at convention, it's like IFA is the franchisor, and we are all franchisees of IFA. Oh, no, that's right. And we all come together in fellowship, and we all come together in community, and we all come together in sharing and caring and communicating in rooms where you will find CEOs of competitive companies yeah, sitting in the same one. sessions, but yeah, exactly well, we're right. all franchising. And it's that's just right. an amazing, an amazing space. So, the leadership roles I remember you as chair in 07 08. I don't know that I knew a lot of you or about you prior to the exposure that I had to you in leadership as our chairman. Tell the audience what that looked like and, and tell those who might aspire to one day work through the chairs and to become involved in leadership in our organization what that did for you you personally and what kind of legacy left for others who followed in your leadership.
0: Well, I was fortunate. Once Don had challenged me to become involved, I started to attend conferences. Service Master had a large international presence in then 34 different countries around the world. And Don asked me to lead the international committee, and that was the first committee that I had an opportunity to chair. And then soon after that, uh, was elected to the board of directors and served and then had an opportunity to participate in the board meetings and to work. Yeah, to help the association. And then Steve Siegel, who was chairman at that time, picked up the phone one day and said, would you consider entering the chairs? Now, at that time, it was a longer process. I think there were four different steps as you move through secretary, treasurer, first vice chairman, or uh, and then chairman, and then past chairman. But again, it was working on some of the government relations parts of franchising that really excited me. And that is such an important part, and IFA continues to do an outstanding job in that whole area. And then as I finished my role as chairman, I had an opportunity, as I have before, Doc Cohen talked me into becoming involved in the foundation. And IFA has the Educational Foundation, which is basically a nonprofit 501c3 the educational benefit of franchising. And so I've been involved and that's where you and I have gotten to know each other. Okay, I've been blessed both personally and financially. My family's been blessed and we can give back. Plus it's fun. You're always learning from great people within IFA. So today I am past chair of the
2: foundation and still stay involved and active. If someone were to say to you that I'd love to get involved, but I really don't have time, what would you tell them?
0: Well, first,
2: I would encourage
0: you to think if you're involved in franchising if you're not involved in the Certified Franchise Executive Program, that is a great place to plug in because you'll go and start to attend classes and you'll start to work with other people that are going through the Certified Franchise Executive Program. That builds relationships. Secondly is to get to some of the local franchise activities that are going on and Then our conferences. So, uh, uh, one conference that a lot of people overlook is our DC gathering. The Lobbying Day, it's a smaller environment and you get to build those relationships. And then also just plug in and find out who's chairing the international committee, who's chairing the franchise relation committee, who's chairing supplier relationships, and plug in and say, I'd like to get involved in those
2: activities. So that's how I'd encourage I'm kind of asking this to walk us up to the last segment of our interview today and talking a little bit about your consultancy and the, and the work you're doing today. When somebody would tell me they don't have time, I would almost hear the same thing as I might've heard once when I was still a franchisor from a franchisee who said, okay, I bought the business, now make me rich. I don't have time to do the marketing. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. You don't have anything but the need to do the things that are required. For the growth and success of your business and by giving as you've given that year as a chairman i'm sure took an awful lot personally from you but i can't help but believe that a lot of those blessings that have been bestowed upon you came as the result of all of that giving and whatever you gave you got back tenfold and more no that's that's
0: exactly right and stan i think it's more about personal stewardship we've been given things and you know, I've found that the more you give, it comes back and time is the most valuable thing, but also it's the people side. I
2: It's all about people. And to stay active and stay involved is really an enjoyable piece. I put up our show notes for today's episode and I talked about listening fuels insight. Insight influences strategy and execution drives success. Working on what matters most identifying and prioritizing the issues that will have the greatest impact on your business. That is a handful of words that speak volumes about what you're doing now with Doug and Jim and work that you're doing to help others grow through these sage words.
0: Well, we have a group that is called Insight to Execution, which basically is, is what you've talked about, that you spend some time to gain the insight of that business, to find out what are the drivers. Because most of the time, it's three or four things that are going to move the ball most significantly inside of that business. And so we've had an opportunity to consult and work with companies across businesses today and then also use those same concepts. I have been members of three or four different franchise boards and to use that ability to serve as a board member to hopefully look for some insights from my experience and also uh, to support and mentor uh, the CEOs that lead these
2: businesses. So how do people get involved with you or you with them? How are you able to help somebody listening to us today, an aspiring franchisor, hearing all these pearls of wisdom coming from someone like you? They probably think a guy like you is not approachable. Well,
0: yeah, I I think one of the things I've been fortunate with Dr. Ben Litalian, I've been able to teach an ICFE course. So, I get to know some of those folks. But it's mostly by referral. Someone will say, hey, I work with Mike on this. I work with Doug or work with Jim on this. Call them up, see if they can help. Also, I'm pretty direct in saying, hey, I can be of help or I can't be. I know what I bring to a table. And also just... Mostly referrals. I'm not aggressively out trying to hustle a bunch of stuff. If someone has a need and it fits uh, with their time and schedule, et cetera, we'll do it. So where's
2: the sweet spot? What is it that you look for when you look at a company that gives you a call like that? How is it that you determine whether an engagement is a good idea or not?
0: Well, first, do they have self-awareness of really what the condition Mm -hmm. of the business is? What are some real factors in terms of static business numbers, the balance sheet, what's the debt? What are some of those key factors that are going to uh, look at survivability? If it's very clear that there's no chance for survival, I'm not going to be involved. They need to go and deal with other issues. I think it talks more about their approach to their franchisees. If they see and are committed truly to the franchisees in what they're doing, and that's mostly identified in the top three or four leaders inside of that business. What's the CEO look like? What's the development officer look like? What's the chief marketing officer? What's the CFO? What does she look like? What is that marketing individual? And if I sense that there is a willingness to work together and build a place that's safe for everybody to be open and exchange concepts and ideas, then I look
2: at that and say, hey, this, this looks like a good organization. We didn't talk about it, but I'm kind of thinking as I'm hearing what you're sharing, I've often said that I think it's gotten way too easy for some people to become franchisors, much the same way as it has become too easy for some people to become franchisees. They weren't guided properly. They weren't given an exercise to put the left and the right side of their brains into synchronous harmony before reaching a decision. And they, maybe with a mismanaged expectation, step into a world that they thought was gonna be something that it isn't, instead of understanding completely that a franchise relationship has responsibilities on both sides of it. On the Zora side, I see that happening of late too much too. I think there are a lot of people who just think I'll get an FDD, I'll get out there, and I'll sell franchises, and I'll be rich. Uh. Yeah,
0: and I think that what I've seen is with the emergence of the private equity groups into franchising, And private equity likes the business model in that it is a – cash generation. A capital investment typically is at the franchisee level in most cases, and I think that to really understand something, you have to have empathy. Now, empathy doesn't mean that you have to go and be a franchisee, right. but you have to have that ability. I had a boss that would always say, you know, a spreadsheet can hold anything, and today <laughs> I think there's too many projections that are made that are just totally uh, (laughs) uh, fantasy. And I think that it perhaps becomes too easy because capital is so available today that people can go in and grab these businesses and move forward. But on the flip side, there's some very, very great private equity groups that have done a great job in franchising and have built lots of value for franchisees and franchisors.
2: So, Mike, where do you see it all going for you? It all began with GR and government relations, and there's certainly been some interesting years in the rearview mirror. in the recent past, what do you see on the horizon?
0: Well, I think that as an organization in franchising, we need to Amplify what we're doing as an industry. Franchising gives back is a huge example. There's, I think it's closer to a billion dollars a year that franchising puts back into communities by giving back the sponsorship of Little League you know, Jimmy John's and some of the other organizations that are just giving millions of dollars back into the communities to amplify what franchising does to create wealth. It is the most effective way to generate wealth for individuals. I think about our minority populations. What a way to change people's lives. Second is IFA, and we're working hard to make it better. So how do we improve it through government rules, the NLRB ruling? How do we make it better? How we better franchise? And then third, how do we support the community that we have in franchising? And we do have a great community. So I think it continues on because it is such an an efficient way to go to the marketplace because you have the capital in the hands of an owner that are very, very close to the customer. And then you have a brand and a trademark and a system and IP that is all interconnected as they serve that customer. So I I think it's very, very exciting. We'll just see this business continue
2: to grow and develop. So to an emerging franchisor listening to us today, I think it's safe bet to say join the IFA, that's a really good idea, do it. What other nugget would you give to an emerging Zor and suggest if they do nothing else, do this?
0: Well, I always think about the strategy that you have to create and keep customers, create, if you will, and retain employees. Then you take that strategy and you have execution. How well do you achieve against those? But the multiplier is the trust in an organization today. And I encourage franchisors emerging to think about what's the strategy to get and keep customers, to get and keep employees, and then how do you measure execution? What are the scorecards? How do you perform against that strategy? But it has to be in an environment of trust, and if you have negative trust, you multiply it against the negative, and the thing goes south mm-hmm. so fast. But if you have trust within an organization, and that's a feely, touchy kind of thing, but trust is following through in the agreement. It's the respect, it's the empathy as you go forward. I think another thing that I'd encourage a, a beginning franchisor is today we as franchisors need to come in and have that positive leadership development. You know, we need to walk in. Into a room and command the room but we can't demand the room. Our franchisees expect that we will give leadership, but we also need to make sure that as we walk in, that we do not become so self-egotistical that we have to demand the room and everyone pays homage to us. And I have seen franchisors today that become successful and they walk in, they command the room, but they also demand the room. And in that demanding, franchisees lose trust and respect. So it's a great, system, and I've just been so blessed to be a part of franchising and certainly would have never, ever guessed, but for me, it's God's grace. He's led us through all kinds of opportunities, and I'm just very thankful.
2: Well, as are we who know you, because you do give back, and you give back freely and and openly and transparently, and all of those are really good things to build the kind of trust that you're talking about in franchise relationships. It's been great, great fun. Thank you for being here and for sharing some of your pearls of wisdom with the audience today on franchise today. Until next Wednesday,